Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I am Tara Beth Leach. And I am Mark Quanstrom, and we are with Dr. Beth Felker-Jones again, talking about uh, soteriology, our understanding of salvation, and the temptation or inclination to reduce salvation to a more or less transactional model instead of what we're calling relational formational. And uh, in the uh, in the meantime, in the break here, we realized our producer, Chaz Robbins, uh, reminded us that the temptation to reduce our understanding of salvation to a transactional model uh, can come from institutional pressures for growth, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which every pastor I know is subject to. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if success is how many people are in your congregation, if success is how much money you're raising, and we've talked about the ABCs. What are the ABCs again? I always forget the ABCs. Attendance, building, cash. Then reducing salvation to a transactional model is maybe more effective mm -hmm. at uh, realizing those, ABC, mm -hmm. those ABCs of success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which are vanity metrics. Um, those are metrics that are easiest to measure. Uh, and it feels good and it looks good. And those are often um, those pastors who have high attendance, beautiful buildings, lots of cash while they're platformed. Mm -hmm. I've had two different people in the last three weeks ask me at College Church how fast we're growing. Mm -hmm. In the last, in the last uh, three weeks, two, diff mm -hmm. two different persons, independent of each other, wanted to know how fast we're growing. Mm -hmm. um, we have two services, so they can't tell. And we mm -hmm. don't put the numbers on the wall anymore. So they couldn't tell. And so it is, it's pressure from above and pressure from below as well. Our people want to be part, oh, yeah, part of an exciting, yeah, they do. explosively yep. growing because it's almost it's like vindication yeah. or justification or, right? Yeah. It must be real. Look at how many people are coming to the faith. Right. Right. Well, and I mean, in a post-COVID context, I think what a lot of churches are seeing is just now people are starting to come back. Right. And so rooms are starting to feel better. There's People are feeling like, ah, this is starting to feel like it was before COVID, so we must be growing. And it does feel good. Oh, it really does. Yeah. Whose ego is not, what's the word, assuaged, assuaged, is that the word, by... So, so we're going to go to one service because we want more people in the building. Yeah, we want it to feel full. <laughs> it's more fun with the mm -hmm. building It full. is. It feels good. <laughs> so uh, so the, the, the temptation to uh, reductionist understanding of salvation is sometimes, these van sometimes the vanity metrics. And in our tradition, of course, we have to report how many people are saved and entirely sanctified, right, on the report. Um, and um, when I was younger, you'd always get an award for being the pastor that grew the church the fastest and paid their budgets, right? So uh, and paid their budgets, yeah, and yeah. paid their budgets, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm I get a little weary of it, and so 
two years ago in my annual report, um, I put down how many people got saved. The number I used was the number, the total number of people attending College Church. <laughs> so great. Because we're never, we're not in our tradition. You're not saved once and for all. Uh, the Lord is continually saving you. And I thought, well, they're getting saved every Sunday because they're still coming to the faith. <laughs> so I put down everybody who attended. That's how many people got saved that year. And it was more consistent with our theological tradition, for sure. But I still got a call from the district administrator saying, yeah, that really is not what we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> did you argue it or did you just submit oh, to that? I don't, re- I, don't that even, I don't know those <laughs> so numbers. Great. So um, I take a picture of everybody who comes to the faith and I put them on the wall in my office like trophies. (laughs) Seems right. Yeah. (laughs) A few years back in United Methodism, there was a bishop who uh, created an online dashboard for these metrics. Uh, so not only uh, was the pressure there to grow, but it was there was a sort of public disciplinary uh, function. Wow! Uh, and uh, people rightly uh, were not happy uh, right. with that. Um, of course, we want to be doing good work, yes. you know. But I don't just don't know how you measure things in in quantities um, when you follow. You know the shepherd who leaves the ninety nine for for the one. Right. Um, that doesn't look good uh, on right. a report, and we've got to have some way to make room for that uh, if we're going to be faithful. I worked at a church where uh, every Tuesday morning we would sit in our all staff meetings, and the lead pastor would pass out a piece of paper with all of the metrics from the week. Um, you know, each, you know, fourth grade class, fifth grade class, um, nursery, high school ministry from the week, junior high ministry from the week, worship attendance, women's ministry, men's ministry. And he would take a ruler and he would go down line by line. And when he would get to uh, the ministry of someone in the room, he would look at it and he would pull his glasses down. And he would look at that person and he would either ask why attendance was down or he would celebrate you. Mm. And I was I was early in my 20s at this time and brand new to ministry and I thought if this is if this is how I'm going to get get accepted or praised or um be established in ministry then by golly like I better perform and better pull out all the stops and play all I was a youth pastor at the time play play all the all the games, get the kid. And it just, there was something about like when he would get to high school ministry and if it was a good week, oh, oh man, my head was held high. My shoulders were back. Mm. And that takes time to undo that um, in uh, the soul of a pastor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still subject to evaluation of my ministry based on those kind of vanity metrics. I'm still subject to it. I've been 40 years in ministry. And uh, my assessment of my own leadership is oftentimes a consequence of succumbing to the power of those kind of metrics. It's just awful. And so if we're talking about transactional soteriology or evangelism, uh, and if we are subject to these kind of metrics, I think the question is, 
then how does that um, impact our evangelism? How does that impact our worship? How does that impact the ways that we talk about soteriology? How does that shape what we do on weekends? There's not an easy answer to that question, although I think we're inclined to make it easy, easier to be a part of the church, a less demanding, um, a more entertainment-driven. Um, mm -hmm. I think, how, how do you... How do you um, more fun, less cross. <laughs> more fun, less cross. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so for example, to, you, you prompted this. So kind of a foundational Christian affirmation is the need for confession, right? Confession isn't a once and done thing, is it? I think we're yeah. supposed to always be confessing if mm -hmm. the Lord's Prayer mm -hmm. is any indication, right? Seems mm -hmm. fair. So we should be confessional. So some churches... Uh, incorporate that into their liturgy every Sunday. Our, the church that I pastor in our traditional services, it's always at the top of the service, is we always have a confession. We have a confession. Well, mm -hmm. that's such a downer. Confession is such a downer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I visit ar around, in our tradition, it was a little problematic because once you're entirely sanctified, you never had to confess again. Because <laughs> you've reached perfection. Because you have gotten it, right? Yeah. It was our version of eternal security, getting entirely sanctified. And so, I mean, that was really problematic. So, but confession is kind of uncomfortable. And it's, who wants to, who wants to say I have not been who I should have been this last week? Mm -hmm. Who wants to get particular in their confession, right? Well, how prevalent is this foundational formational practice in evangelicalism today? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a moment of confession every Sunday in my church. And I mean, gee whiz, I confess all the time. Why wouldn't I incorporate that practice into a weekly service? Well, because it's it's kind of a downer to admit that we still need atonement and we still need the forgiving grace of God and that we are not who we should be. But I, I don't think confession as practice is very prevalent in popular evangelicalism today. Is it? I don't know. It's my assessment in attending the non-denoms and the other kinds of evangelical churches I've attended. Um, there's confession for coming to the faith first, mm -hmm. but there's not the discipline of confession as a matter of course. Mm -hmm. So how do you do church if it's transactional, you omit some of the difficult parts of worship. Liturgies can help with this, right? Mm -hmm. That's probably why it's up front for your church, yeah. right, Terabeth? Yeah. Um, but uh, not every church uh, uses uh, high liturgy like that. Right. Um, and we need uh, liturgies for low church that, that include such things. I right. think you're right, though, that we don't have them it often. Is, it is something I love about our traditional services is, you know, we have the call to worship. Um, then we go into the confessional and then we sing every week, uh, Lord have mercy. Hmm. And every single week um, to be able to come together and begin with confession um, is transformative. And it's a reminder of the goodness of God in that. Mm-hmm. We're reminded of the character of God 
and our relationship to God, which is the receivers of his grace Mm -hmm. and gifts. Mm -hmm. The confession is really good news at Mm -hmm. heart Mm -hmm. because we're not having to prove ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Now, in our tradition, we are afraid of, oh, it makes for easy sin if you confess all the time. If you know you you get to confess, then you're... (laughs) Not going to so be grace mo- can abound. So grace can <laughs> abound, right? It's I guess it's a I guess it's a, from the first century mm-hmm. that kind of temptation, right? <laughs> uh, but my experience is the opposite happens. Uh, you become less inclined to sin the more you confess, mm-hmm. not more inclined to sin. So things we do often are pretty important to us. So yeah, I'm all for higher frequency of important things, mm-hmm. like confession. Mm-hmm. And confession throws up the mirror every time you're forced to. Examine. You're forced to look inward. You're forced um, to examine who you are before a holy God. And that's one of the things I do love about the Lutheran tradition. And I think this is where, you know, last week, two weeks ago, Mark, you talked about we need the Reformed tradition. We need the Nazarenes. We need the Lutherans. We need the Catholics. Um, We need this diversity and doctrine. yeah, because they inform our own faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and and the Christian faith is richer, and uh, it it prevents Christianity from becoming reductionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is so rich. So so if if our understanding of salvation is not simply transactional, but is really formational, driven by our relationship with our Lord, then how do we cultivate a church or culti- do church cultivate a worship service? That reminds us that our salvation isn't transactional, but is relational, formational. Mm-hmm. I think just asking the question is a great place yes. to start, and there'll be a variety of answers. Um, but that's the goal, isn't it? To uh, to do church, to do worship uh, in ways that fit with our actual theologies, right? right. That is, in ways that fit with who God is, uh, instead of in ways that fit... The metric we're being asked to meet, or or what have you. I think, um, you know, one one thing at stake here is just the understanding of the gospel. Um, when I hear people give church hunting advice, uh, a frequent uh, a frequent admonition is find a church that preaches the gospel, yeah. right? Which is good advice, uh-huh. right? Um, but often what that means is actually find a church that offers a transaction every single week, yes. right? Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah. the gospel is not just, or not at all, uh, transactional, right? It's it's bigger than just coming to faith. Um, uh, it's the whole life of faith. It's uh, God for the whole world. Um, and so, yes, we, we want to be churches that are preaching the gospel and, and doing the gospel. Uh, but that doesn't only mean following one easy script uh, for, for what that looks like. Uh, and uh, a lot of rhetoric out there presses in the other way, right? It says, look for this script or you're in the wrong kind of church. Uh, don't believe it is what I say. That's interesting to yeah, find a church that preaches the gospel is really about find a church that gets people saved by providing a formulaic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, roadmap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. 
And often it's a church that focuses, uh, the, the impl- implication is a church that focuses on individual, right, choice of salvation or, right. or decision for salvation over and against, um, you know, the ways we're called to, to love the whole world, um, the ways the gospel is about, uh, yes, my salvation and also all of us together and justice and peace and uh, reaching uh, outside of the church and so on. Right? It's Find a church that preaches the gospel can be code for, not one of those churches that talks about, you know, race or right. justice. Justice, right, 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 right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Just um, focus on Jesus. Yeah. But I mean, the word for salvation in Latin, I'm sorry, I know that's a theology prof move, is justitia, right? Uh to justify. Uh, salvation is justice, right? It's God's justice mm-hmm. uh, for each one of us and for the whole world. You can't take you can't take the justice out of the gospel. Whoa. So church uh, done with a more comprehensive soteriology has to make room for relationships among its people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yes. Uh one of my challenges is uh, to know everyone who comes to college church. One of my convictions is I should not be preaching to strangers. Um, as one of our earlier uh, guests said, the gospel is not content delivery, right? right? It's, it's, it's relational. Mm-hmm. And so um, I work really hard at making sure I know the names of everybody who attends college church. It's a bit of work, hmm. but um, it is driven by my understanding of of the pastor's relationship with the people of his or her congregation. Um, because it is, they will believe what I'm saying by virtue of their understanding of who I am. I'd much rather have them believe what I'm saying by virtue of them knowing who I am than by virtue of my eloquence or my ability to yes. captivate. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had a, I don't know if I told this, I had a person say that to me in my first church. They said, you know, you're, maybe I, did I tell this story? You're not the best preacher? No. Oh, I didn't tell this <laughs> no. story? Oh, this is so great. I love it. You're not the best preacher, but we believe you because we know you. Mm-hmm. The, and I thought yeah. I, I I would have preferred both, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if I'm having to choose, I would choose that. The church that I serve uh, right now, you know, has had a history of amazing pastors, and there's one pastor that everyone talks about, and uh, it's Pastor Gary, because uh, whenever people talk about him, they say, "I came the first week, and I came the second week, and he remembered my name." He remembered my story, uh, and then he visited me in the hospital when I was sick, and then he he married my children or he baptized mm-hmm. my baby, um, and this is this is not a was not a small church then, and um, every week I almost get tired of hearing it. I'm like, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know he remembered your name, and I still don't have yours down yet. <laughs> um, but actually, truly, I'm I'm always I'm always blessed by that and stretched by that to want to be that kind of pastor that knows my people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we believe you because we know you. 
isn't a bad way of describing a relational understanding of salvation, right? If if we're talking about Correct. Jesus, right? Hi, Jesus. <laughs> we believe you because we know you. Mm-hmm. Um, we know who God is yeah. uh, in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Yeah, the fullest revelation of God was a person. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't drop tracks out of heaven. Mm-mm. And he didn't stand on a, he didn't fill a Colosseum or an amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent so much time one-on-one with, with folk. So, uh, which speaks to the nature of salvation. It is relational. Um, and I think in, back to the conversation we had a week ago, evangelism and this world is absolutely contingent on the character of the one who is speaking it. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the, isn't that the, the shame of modern evangelicalism that the spokespersons are not living what they're proclaiming. Mm-hmm. Well, and that goes back to our last episode um, when I reflected on how many from my generation, millennials, I think in particular, more so even than Gen Z, um, mm-hmm. Gen Z is experiencing spirituality in just completely different ways and does not have the same baggage that millennials have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the baggage is because a spokesperson, um, mm-hmm. the uh, the one evangelizing, the one giving right. the message, um, millennials grew up to find out that that person isn't what they were preaching. Mm-hmm. So Jesus said to Philip, come and see. Was it Philip, Andrew? Come and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, would, we, we be, would we be willing to say the, the same thing? Come and see. Mm. Come and watch. Mm. Come and look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I mentioned this before. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Could we say that? Mm-hmm. So if our soteriology is not transactional, then we can't simply proclaim. We must live in front of our people the life that we're speaking of. Mm-hmm. And support and strengthen our people for also so living, right? Exactly right. Uh, As they act as ministers of the gospel in the world. Right. I can't help but think of pastor's families. Uh, Is is the pastor Mm. uh, the same person in the pulpit Mm. as they are at home? I was hiking this weekend um, with my my good friend, Chris Kane, and uh, she was talking about her daughters and how proud she is at the ways that they love the Lord and they still love the church so uh-huh. much. And I asked her, I said, so so what's the secret? How, how did you raise two girls that are madly in love with Jesus and are still madly in love with the church? And she said to me, she said, for me, the mom that they see on the platforms is, is the same person at home. And she talked about how important it is uh, to live it at home as much as we are in the pulpit. And so I think that if we can't do that with our families, um, that might be an indicator. So I've been wondering when I would say this, but uh, one of my one of my convictions, and I wanted to say it out loud, to see if see just to get your response. Uh, what if what our people are looking for is, or what if we're called to, is Christ likeness first as pastors? What if they're, what if they want us to be holy? What if that's what they're looking for? What if our people are looking for pastors who are like Jesus? And real. I think 
the people I'm pastoring, they also want to know, they, they want to see us live out the confessional Correct. life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they want to know that, yes, we are we are living out this call to holiness and we screw it up and we're yeah. willing to confess when we screw it up. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. So there's no perf- there's no perfectionist right. ethic in this. It's not real. The, 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 OK, let's say it differently. Let's say, yeah. does this does our pastor have a relationship with Jesus? Right. Where yeah. Jesus convicts. Yeah. Where Jesus calls, where Jesus encourages, where Jesus reproves. Mm-hmm. Transforms. Where Jesus transforms. And so what if effective leadership is about character first? Mm-hmm. This is this is all in the context of soteriology mm-hmm. as formational and relational. Mm-hmm. Just so we don't lose our way here. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we get to be real? And mm. it- it goes back again to a couple episodes ago where you as a pastor were wearing someone else's clothes mm-hmm. and it wasn't working. Be- why? Because it wasn't honest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what, what I you, believed. What you believed. Hmm. And yeah. at the end of the day, our people want honest, they want real, they mm-hmm. want authentic, they want raw, and they want to see someone following Jesus. Hmm. Amen. So we probably will continue talking about uh, what church looks like driven by a more comprehensive soteriology. Um, there's, I mean, how, how we could go, I mean, there's a whole lot to explore here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I'm reflecting on what we've talked about, uh, a, a more robust, which is a word we use a lot here, a hmm. more comprehensive soteriology would mean uh, that authentic relationships among people and pastor would be at the heart. Mm-hmm. If I was going to summarize this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Felker Jones, anything to add to that? Mm. It just makes me feel hopeful. And I'm always excited to hear from others about how they're living this out Um you know, on the ground um, uh, with with real people as real people. Uh, I, uh, I as a theology teacher, I, I always need uh, to be uh, schooled by by getting to see those actual um, lived out hmm. moments and and years uh, of faith. Um, well, Dr. Beth Elker Jones, thank you so much for joining us on. Um, these two episodes as we're thinking about, again, what it means to have a more meaningful, robust, dynamic soteriology and how that impacts us as pastors, um, our preaching, our teaching, our evangelizing, and Mm. leading in worship. Uh, This was a rich conversation. Um, I was stretched. I was pushed. And I would imagine Mm. that our listeners uh, were as well. So uh, to all the pastors who are listening, as we say at the end of every podcast, uh, if this is helpful, share it. Uh, We hope our intention is for it to be helpful. Uh, We believe in pastoral ministry. We believe in the call of God in people's lives. And we are very aware of how difficult it is to do the work these days. I was talking to a young pastor just yesterday, and he asked me, has it always been this hard? Mm -hmm. Has Mm -hmm. it always been this hard? Mm -hmm. 
And I said, I don't know. Uh, it seems harder these days than it ever has. And we listed all the reasons, uh, COVID and political division. It's obviously been hard all the time, but uh, his, his, his ask was, has it always been this hard? We know it's hard, but it is still worthy. And so we believe in the pastoral ministry. We believe in the call of God. And we are here to encourage you to, uh, to fulfill the call as God has laid it on your heart. And so may God bless you and keep you uh, in this incredible gift and invitation that we have to live out this call, this invitation to partner with God in this world uh, for, for God's good and God's purposes. And until next time. <laughs>